So the season of Advent is behind us, but we're still in our Advent series in Luke's Gospel because we are still waiting for Jesus. Yes, Jesus has come as a baby in his first Advent, his first coming, but we still await Jesus' final coming in glory, his second and final Advent. So, back to waiting we go, and we better get used to it. In fact, Advent is discipleship. Waiting is discipleship. It's how we deepen. It's how we grow. It's the lab in which the Holy Spirit does His work in our hearts when we have to wait. But we don't like to wait, do we? Because it's painful to wait. And we get antsy and we can't sit still like some little kids later on in this sermon. And that's okay, parents. It's okay for kids to get antsy. We become like them. We get antsy. We can't sit still. And we find that our impatience does not sync up with God's very slow pace. Our fidgeting and getting antsy does not sync up with God's incredibly relaxed timing. And so we need this reminder from Lamentations chapter 3, which was our call to worship today. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord. Lamentations 3, 25 to 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, we don't think it's good to wait on God, do we? We think we know better. We think God should consult us and consult our calendars as he works in his world. But all that God's people have ever known is waiting. We just need to be reminded, and often, that it is good to wait quietly, not ansily. Is that a word? Not fidgeted, fidgetedly? For the Lord. And that's what we'll see with two elderly folks in Luke chapter 2 today. So turn there in your Bibles. And this is a great passage to look at on a day like today because we're all gathered here together as a church family in one service with babies and little kids and teenagers and young adults and then all of the other 40 years and up people whose bodies all ache in some way today. That's what you have to look forward to, young people. Once you hit your 40s, suddenly you just wake up and like your knee will hurt. So enjoy it, okay? And we'll see the exact same scenario at the temple when baby Jesus was just eight years old. There will be two very old senior citizens and a young married couple and their newborn baby. Generations worshiping together just like what we have here today, young and old, all together, waiting on and worshiping Jesus. 
So Luke chapter 2, look at verse 21 and hear the word of the Lord. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." So right off the bat, we see that these new parents want to honor the Lord. Mary and Joseph have baby Jesus circumcised on the eighth day according to the Old Testament scriptures. And so they give the sign of the covenant to their new bundle of joy. And they take him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord and then to offer the appropriate sacrifices. And it's all according to God's law. In the Old Testament. So notice though, Luke mentions God's law, the Hebrew scriptures, five times in this post-birth section, highlighting that Mary and Joseph were godly parents seeking to follow the Lord. They centered their life in the Torah, in God's word. And so they made their way to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate baby Jesus. And while Mary and Joseph had to wait nine very long months for baby Jesus to be born, there's been an old man at church, at the temple, who knows the Holy Spirit very well. And this old man has been waiting much longer than nine months for this baby boy to show up at church. Look at verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Did you catch here what great friends Simeon and the Holy Spirit are? I love the fellowship that Simeon had with the Holy Spirit. Three times Luke mentions the Spirit in connection with this old man. And the Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the long-awaited Messiah. Simeon had a promise from God that he would see the promised Redeemer with his own eyes. And God kept that promise to this old man. But we don't get any details on how the Holy Spirit communicated this to Simeon. And we don't know how he knew that the baby being presented to him was the Messiah. Maybe he heard about the virgin birth on Facebook. I don't know. 
Maybe Mary told him, this baby boy is very unique. We don't know. But what we do know is that God kept his promise to Simeon. And when God makes promises to his people in his word, he means for us to use his promises in the everyday stuff of life. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, here's one way. Dane Ortland tweeted this on Twitter once. He said, it's the weirdest thing. Once I say a passage from scripture out loud, like, I don't know, 50 to 60 times, I actually start to get it. And I actually find my heart believing it. But it takes that determined assault on my unbelief before it happens. That's one way to wait. It's one way to wait on the Lord to answer your prayers. You just say God's word over and over and over, maybe 50 to 60 times, and then your heart will start to believe it. And that's when we experience the power of his hope, just like Simeon did. I think Simeon rehearsed uh, the promise that the Holy Spirit gave to him over and over again, saying something like, I will not see death until I see the Messiah. I will not see death until I see the Messiah. I will not see death until I see the Messiah. I will not see death until I see the Messiah. I think he said something like that 50 to 60 times until he started to believe it. And so here's what you do as you are having to wait for God to intervene in your life and to answer your prayers. You find a promise in God's word and you just keep consuming it until hope comes. You say it over and over and over again until your heart believes it. So you think about it, you meditate on it, you memorize it, you repeat it, you put it on the screen lock on your iPhone, you stick it on a post-it note and stick it on your bathroom mirror. That's how it works. That's how the Christian life works in a nutshell. That's how you wait. So what did it mean for Simeon to have to wait for the consolation of Israel, the birth of Jesus? It's the same for us. God gives us promises in his word and we have to wait like Simeon with expectation. That means we don't wait biting our nails. That means we don't wait with our fingers crossed hoping God will be faithful to his promises. That means we don't wait pacing the floor. We wait in faith, in trust, Because we know who God is, don't we? We know him. We know Jesus. We know what he's like. We know that he is faithful. We know that he keeps covenant. So we wait in faith, just like Simeon. Even if it takes years and decades for God to answer our prayers. David Pallison said, The Holy Spirit seems pleased to work in decades, not days, weeks, months, or even years. And we see that with Simeon. He waited decades to see the Messiah. The Spirit was not in a hurry. He usually isn't. So understand this, Grace. Waiting is faith doing 
what faith does. Faith waits until the promise is fulfilled. Faith has to be comfortable with waiting. Faith waits because faith knows who God is and faith knows that God, what God says he will do, he will do. Simeon waited in faith because he knew that the Holy Spirit would do what the Holy Spirit promised him. Faith believes that the fulfillment is certain, even though you can't see it, even if it seems hopeless. Faith waits until God finally shows up. And so the questions that we all have to wrestle with today, the day after Christmas, are questions like this. Are we willing to go at God's pace? Are we willing to go by his calendar? Are we willing to trust God with everything? Are we willing to leave every detail with Jesus down to the smallest of details and trust that he knows what he's doing? Faith waits, and while it waits, it clings to God's word, clings to God's promises, just like Simeon. And that's how faith stays alive. That's how Simeon's faith stayed alive. And that's how Mary and Joseph's faith would stay alive because Simeon said some pretty wild and exciting things about their baby boy. Their baby boy would bring salvation to Israel and to the Gentile nations. And that would have been shocking to a Jew in the first century because they forgot about all the promises in the Old Testament about God saving Gentiles. And it was that promise that their baby boy was the savior of the world that was sustained. Mary, as Simeon also told her in verse 35, that her own soul would be pierced with heartache and allusion to the cross. Mary hears that her baby boy will save Israel and Gentile nations and that a sword would pierce through her own soul. So there's this overwhelming sense of joy and wonder and awe as Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph. But there's also this deep, weighty truth about her baby and what it means for the nation of Israel, that he will cause the rise and fall of many. And all of this, remember, was a lot to take in for a teenage girl from Podunkville. But understand this about God. He doesn't water down his promises to what looks conceivable to us. God doesn't water down his promises to what made sense to Mary and Joseph. He doesn't whittle them down for us to make them easier to believe or to make them manageable. Why in the world would God do that? God makes these big, seemingly too good to be true, wild and crazy, out-of-this-world promises like your baby boy will be the savior of Israel and the Gentiles too. He makes promises that go against what we think is the norm. He makes promises that are so outrageous that we often have trouble believing them, don't we? And so what do you do when you come to a wild, crazy, out of this world, too good to be true, hard to believe promise in the Bible? You say it out loud over and over, maybe, I don't know, like 50 to 60 times until your heart believes. 
When we feast on God's promises, when we say them out loud 50 to 60 times, or when we highlight them or underline them or circle them in our Bibles, that's when we experience the power of his hope. And that's when we start telling people about the hope we have. Like a very old widow named Anna did. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna was an old, gray-haired, wrinkly old widow who just spent her days at church, worshiping, praying, fasting. Anytime the church doors were open, Anna was there. And as Simeon was holding baby Jesus in his arms, Anna showed up and she heard Simeon and she began to give thanks to God and to tell everyone about it. And so Anna became an evangelist for baby Jesus right there on the spot, an 84-year-old evangelist. Anna just started handing out freshly printed tracts about this brand new baby boy. She's just passing them out to everybody. She's telling everyone that the Messiah was there in the temple wearing a cute onesie and sucking on a pacifier. Just like the angel told the shepherds, I evangelize to y'all great joy, so too Anna starts evangelizing and telling people about baby Jesus. One thing I love about the Christmas story, I love that two of the very first people that have encounters with baby Jesus are two old-timers who get a senior citizen discount at Cracker Barrel. I love that. Baby Jesus doesn't appear to some young influencer on Instagram, right? He appears to just two old people. And I love that our church is full of old-timers who get a senior citizen discount at Cracker Barrel and who are very much involved in the lives of our babies and kids and teenagers. We have older saints in this church who know and love on and minister to our babies in the nursery, through Awana, in Sunday school classes, all the way up to our students in the youth group. What a gift all of you seasoned saints are to our church family. And I know that if anyone is praying for a church like Anna, it's the older folks. I love that we have all ages here at Grace. It's simply beautiful. I'm glad it's just not a bunch of influencers on Instagram who minister to our kids because they would be taking pictures and saying, see me serving, right? The older folks just do it quietly. They just want to serve the Lord, and I'm grateful for it. Ralph Davis said, So the remnant church we find in Luke 1 and 2 has a good sprinkling of senior citizen believers, which suggests that your gray hairs and aching bodies and arthritic joints are welcome in Jesus' fellowship. So maybe someone here needs to hear this today. Your gray hairs... And your aching bodies and your arthritic joints are welcome here at Grace. We 
need you. And the Holy Spirit still has plans for you. So don't lose heart. Yeah, your bones may ache and you may move a lot slower, but so did Simeon and Anna. And they were the first ones who saw baby Jesus at his dedication. So verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel, waiting on a promise. And verse 38 tells us that Anna was waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. They were both waiting on Old Testament promises. They were two old people who never gave up. They just clung to God's promises and they never let go. And they kept showing up at the temple every day until they saw the Messiah in diapers and with pacifier in mouth. These two elderly people remind us that it is good to wait quietly for the Lord. And the Lord is good to those who wait on him. Remember that when you are in a season of waiting, the Lord is good to you in the midst of that season of waiting that you desperately want to get out of. He's good to you. And part of that goodness is that you grow and become more like Jesus in that season of waiting that you desperately want to get out of. Now, of course, we'd rather take two sanctification pills and become like Jesus, wouldn't we? But that's not how discipleship works. God does things in our hearts when we learn to quit being fidgety and antsy and we just sit still and wait on him and trust him. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord because the Lord is good to those who wait quietly for him. And part of that goodness that comes while we wait is that we grow and we're transformed and we become deeper, more profound people as the Spirit works deeper in our hearts. We become deeper, more profound people because we had to wait and wait and wait and wait. Speaking about the righteous in Psalm 92 who continue to grow and mature over a lifetime of waiting, John Stark says this. This is what mature Christians are like. They are planted They flourish, grow, and bear fruit, even in their old age. The remarkable things about a tree growing, flourishing, and bearing fruit is that there are a lot of quiet moments, days, and years of fruitfulness. Waiting is boring, but it's where depth takes root. Spiritual maturity and deep joy come when we learn to wait. Waiting is one of the least effective things we can imagine doing. Not much is getting accomplished when we wait, but waiting is often the key towards spiritual fruitfulness. Waiting is how we become deeper, more profound disciples. Let me say it again, because we don't like waiting. There's nothing in waiting for us, right? But there is. We become deeper, more profound disciples as we learn to wait on the Lord. This is what Simeon and Anna teach us. 
And they're waiting on baby Jesus to finally show up after days and weeks and months and years and decades reminds us that clocks and calendars are no match for God's promises. Because the clock ticked away, the calendar page was flipped month after month after month, year after year after year, but that was no match for God's promise of a coming Savior. And so in case you haven't figured this out yet about Jesus, he's in no rush. He is never in a rush. He often has his people wait. He still works while we wait. But he often makes us wait. And what do we do while we wait? We cling to his promises. We trust. Alec Motir says, Since it is through faith in the Lord's promises that we are saved, then surely if faith is mighty to solve the great and eternal problem of our sinlessness, alienation, and helplessness, is it not the way to tackle every problem? to look up to our almighty, ever-loving God and say, I trust you? Let me ask you this morning, where in your life do you need a promise from God? Where are you being fidgety and antsy like a little child as you wait on God? By the way, fidgety, antsy kids are a picture of you as you wait for God. Do you know that? Sometimes we're like, oh, those kids won't sit still. They're so fidgety and antsy. They're doing really good today. Kids, you're doing great. But if you see a fidgety, antsy kid in a church service or a movie theater, just be reminded that God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, that's how you are with me. Where are you being fidgety and antsy like a child as you wait on God? What's happening in your life? Today, where you need to look up to Jesus and say, I trust you. Over and over again, the Bible says, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. Now I know why. Here's why the Bible says, wait on the Lord, over and over and over again. Because number one, it's hard. It's hard to wait on the Lord. And number two, we get antsy. And so after 45-ish years of being a disciple... I'm still trying to learn, one, that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, and two, that it is good to wait quietly for him. And maybe you need that reminder today, too. Simeon and Anna want to remind you that God is in no hurry, so you can relax and wait. They want to remind you that God is in control, so you don't need to be. They want to remind you that God is winning, so you don't have to. And they want to remind you to worship while you wait. That's what they do. They worship while they wait. That's what they did. And where do we find them? We find them at the temple, at church, worshiping with the people of God. So listen, don't pull away from church. If you're in a season of waiting and you find your heart getting bitter, don't pull away from church. You need to be in the church every time the doors are open because this is where you find Jesus here among his people, among his bride. Don't pull away. Dig in more and more. And finally, Simeon and Anna want to remind you that the baby they saw in the temple that day forgives you if you look to him in faith. 
and trust. His name is Jesus, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. He, he can save you today. Have you turned to this baby? Have you put your place, your, your, your faith in this Savior? Because God is just holding his arms out to you today and say, come home. You can be a part of my family. I'll forgive all your sins. Listen, I know the things you've done. I'll forgive them. Just look to my son in faith. See him living and dying on the cross for you. God has just flung open the front doors of his house. He's on the porch saying, come, come. Will you come today? Have you turned from your sin? Have you repented? Which just means you just say, you know what? I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to quit living for me. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm a rebel, that I only live for me. And I'm going to turn to Jesus and place my trust in him. Will you do that today? You can be adopted into God's family. That baby in the manger died for you. He came back from the dead. And he's returning one day to make all sad things come untrue. So keep waiting. Because it is good to wait quietly for the Lord. What's that thing or that situation or that circumstance or that relationship that you need to look up to Jesus today and say, I trust you. So we're going to pray in a minute. Maybe you just need to literally lift up some empty hands and say, here it is, Jesus. Here's the thing that I'm giving to you. And you just need to say, you know what, I'm going to trust you with this. And if you need to, you can say, here it is, Jesus. Here's the thing, the situation, the relationship, the circumstance that I'm going to give to you. I trust you. And some of you might need to say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we just hold open empty hands and say, here are the things that are concerning us situations, circumstances, relationships, children, grandchildren, spouse, family member. Lord, there's so much. With all the hearts here today, what heavy burdens and cares we all have, Lord. And so individually and then collectively, we just want to hold them up to you today, Jesus, and say, we trust you. We trust that you're going to work through this. And for some of us today, Jesus, we need to say, I believe, help my unbelief. In your name we pray.